Let me grab the clicker. <laughs> cool. So we are part of a faith tradition that I would say is a little bit obsessed in a good way with truth. We got truth commentaries. We got Truth Magazine, Guardian of Truth, Herald of Truth, lots of truth, which is a great thing to be excited about. Now, there was a gospel writer who also talked a lot about truth, who brought us such a famous saying as Jesus is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to be talking about John today, 2 John specifically, and what 2 John has to teach us about truth. I've entitled my sermon, The Defining Truth, because I think as we unravel what John has to say in 2 John, we'll find that truth is something that defines our life in a lot of ways. But before we can get to the text of 2 John, we have to lay a little bit of groundwork first, because as I said, John writes more about truth than any other, like all of the other people in the Bible in the New Testament combined don't write as much about truth as John writes about truth. He has a very robust concept of truth. And when we think truth, we think like the facts. But it's a little bit broader what John means by truth. And so we're going to talk about that first as a way of groundwork. So first, look here in these passages. we got John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then John 5, 33 says, you sent to John... And he has borne witness to the truth. So Jesus says, I am the truth. And then it says that John the Baptist bore witness to Jesus, who is the truth. And so we can see that Jesus is the truth, which is sort of an abstract thing to say. We'll explain it in a moment. Next, we've got John 17 that says, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. And then we've got some other passages that seem to point to that same sort of thing. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. So the things that Jesus taught are truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word of God is truth. What Jesus taught is truth. And what Jesus reveals is truth. So teachings of Jesus, word of God, these things are truth. And finally... John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whoever hears, for whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And in 1 John 3, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. Notice the spirit in both of these cases. That the spirit of truth comes, he will guide us into all truth, and that the spirit is a witness within us of the truth abiding in us. And so, take all this together. We've got Jesus' truth, the things that Jesus taught is truth, the word of God is truth, and that the Holy Spirit will bring us to truth. So what, what what does that mean? What do we do with all of this? I think what John means when he says truth is effectively the life of Christ and the teachings of Christ lived out in our life. So if we are walking in the truth, we're going to be people who look, act, think, make judgments the way that Jesus 
did, that we have had our senses trained by the word of God to know what is right and wrong. That is truth. And so with that in mind, we're going to read 2 John, and we're going to talk about three things that we can learn about truth from 2 John. So we're in 2 John. I'll read the first three verses. It says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. So you can see already why I picked truth as the theme of 2 John. It shows up a lot. It will continue to show up a lot. And what these three verses tell us is that truth has this sort of binding ability. That the elect lady is, and her children, this church that John is writing to, is beloved by John and by all other disciples of Jesus because there is a truth that binds them together. And then we're going to see in verses 4 through 6 what truth looks like in their lives. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. So we get this sort of, uh, this is typical of John, a cyclical truth command, uh, command, love, truth, love. It's If you're walking according to love, you're going to be doing what God says. And if you're doing what God says, you're going to be loving. And if you're loving, you're doing what God says. It's just this, this pattern. So love and truth are closely connected. And finally, as we finish up the book of 2 John, we'll see from verses 7 through 13, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Actually, let me pause here and say one more thing about verses 4 through 6. He says, you guys are walking in truth. I can see it by the way you're living your life. And that is going to differentiate you from this next category of people, starting in verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of our elect sister greet you. So with the exception of this closing here, the last few verses talk about truth and people who are not walking in truth. Deceivers, people who are speaking falsehoods, who are opposed to 
the truth. And John says, you got to watch out for those people. They are dangerous. You do not need to associate with them. You do not need to even give them the indication that you approve of their works because this sort of falsehood needs to be far away from us. It's a strong thing for John to say. And so... What do, we, what do we learn about truth? Like I said, I think there are three distinct things we can see about truth in 2 John, all which sort of revolve around this idea of a defining truth. So first, I want to say that uh, truth transforms us. As we saw earlier, the Holy Spirit is involved in the, the giving of truth. And whenever, anytime you see the Holy Spirit, think about sanctification, think about uh, righteousness that comes through God working in us. That this truth is going to change us. That if you come in contact with Jesus, if you read about him and understand him, you do not leave that interaction unchanged. Either you reject it and you fall into this second category of people who are not walking in truth, or you let Jesus' teachings change you. And that shouldn't be surprising because we see how much contact uh, John speaks of with the truth. He talks about in verse three that uh, verse two, sorry, that the truth abides in us. It's, a, it's dwelling in us. And then he talks about in verse nine, the latter half. He says, "Whoever abides in the teaching." has both the Father and the Son. You throw in that verse from 1 John 3, and you'll get the Holy Spirit as well. So what, what John is saying in terms of like contact, that you've got the truth around you, and you've got, if you have the truth, you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit inside of you. And just like you are what you eat and the clothes make the man, like if you have something in you and around you, you are going to be changed. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like verses 4 through 6 that I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments, and this is the commandment just as you've had from the beginning, so you should walk in it. He says that walking in the commandments Walking in truth, walking in love, these are all things that go together. And so if we are people who have been changed by an interaction with Jesus, by reading his word, by learning about him, by meeting people who have been changed by him and them telling us about him, then we can't stay the same. Like it's, it's going to change us and it's going to change us in a very specific way. And that way is love. And this again should not be surprising to us given the closeness that John specifically puts between truth and love and love and the commandments of Jesus. We've got Jesus who says, this is how the world will know that you are mine, that you love one another. That's in John 13. He says in verse in chapter 15 of John that this is the commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He says in 1 John 2, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. In 1 John 4, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That love is a defining feature of Christians. And this, I mean, these four verses are just a small section of the many verses that talk about this particular attribute as being something that the world is going to see us 
and they're going to see the way we love, and that's what's going to tie us to God. And so the truth and the commandments of Jesus. And remember we talked about truth. We defined truth as living out the life and teachings of Christ in our life. So if God is love, so then we should also be love. And that is truth. And so this love and truth uh, circle is going to keep working in us until we are no longer the people that we were when we first learned about Jesus. We're going to grow in love. We're going to be sacrificial people. And sacrifice is the key word for love. I mean, if you read much about love, specifically in John, it's another one of those loaded terms in John, you're going to see passages like John 3.16. This is how God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that God chose to love by acting. And the same thing we'll see in 1 John 3, that if you have all your, if you have goods and you see your brother in need and you don't give him what he needs, then how can you say you have love? That love is something that requires sacrifice. And that is something that we learn from Jesus. And Jesus' life acted in our life is the truth dwelling in us. So truth changes us, it sanctifies us, it makes us new. And that's why in verse 1 and 2, we're told that the result of truth in their lives is love for one another. And that's where we're going to go next with this. The second thing we learn about truth from 2 John is that the truth brings us together. Let's read verses 1 and 2. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. I was telling Leah right before we started, I love these verses. This is actually the reason I chose to preach from Second uh, John, because I think this is such a fascinating way to open the letter. What he says is, I love you, but it's not just me that loves you, okay? It's everyone who knows the truth also loves you. The first time I got to preach this sermon, it was at Cabot to a bunch of people I had never met. And it, so it, it fit a whole lot better to talk about like, look, they're Christians. I don't even know. I've never met them. But here's what I do know, okay? I love Jesus. And my goal in life is to follow the Lord. And that's also their goal. Whenever I meet another Christian, I know that we have that in common, that they are trying to pursue Jesus, they are trying to sanctify themselves, to avoid the difficulties and, and temptations of this life, and to press forward on the goal of reaching heaven. And if we have that in common, that's all I need to know about them, to know that I love them, to know that I'm willing to sacrifice, to help them, to listen to them, to see how I can encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And so this truth binds us together in a way that nothing else can. Because as we are pursuing Christ, we find that all the other things of this life sort of melt away in importance. We sang two songs uh, before this began that were really keyed in on, on this focus, that uh, you know, how sweet, how heavenly, and when we're working together, and uh, like this, this peace that binds us 
together comes from the fact that we are both mutually pursuing the Lord. And unfortunately, this isn't the case everywhere. Like, there are lots of churches that are divided by uh, fighting and grief and just these things that shouldn't be the case. And this isn't an occasion for finger pointing. It should be an occasion for introspection. As we look inside ourselves and say, are we harboring grudges against our fellow Christians that are really not very significant? Are we being people of love, of sacrifice? Or are we being the kind of people that are not allowing the unity that we're supposed to have to take effect in our work? And in so doing, we're stifling the, the growth and the power that we could be having as a group when we're working together because instead, we're fighting about who knows what. This, this isn't the way to live. Because unity of the truth is what should be the operating force in our church. And so you think about passages like Ephesians 2, where it talks about how Jesus died to break down a dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. That Jesus was trying to create unity. You read a passage like uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 about as we all eat the bread, we are all partaking of the same body. That like we are one body in Christ and that we shouldn't let these small things divide us, that we've got to remember why we're here, what we're focused on. And when we focus on the truth, it's powerful because it unites us. It shows us what we are fighting for. And that is perhaps the greatest and simplest blessing of truth is the unity that it brings to our congregation and to the church as a whole. As we talk about people who are Christians outside of these walls, that we are unified by one single focus, and that is serving the Lord. So truth, it brings us together. But unfortunately, truth also divides As we read verses 7 through 11, we're told, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. There's a lot we could unpack from this. Uh, I am not going to waste too much time talking about verses 10 and 11 and what specifically it means to not allow them into their house, whether, uh, whether this greeting is like literally like, hey, how you doing, or you know, what exactly that means. All I'm going to say on that is if, if we know somebody is walking in falsehood and we leave that conversation, that interaction, and, and they have the, the indication that we support them in their heresy, we have, we have not fulfilled verses 10 and 11. I would rather focus our time here on verses 7 and the latter part of verse 9. 
that there are deceivers who have gone out in the world who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. In the second half of verse 9, whoever, uh, sorry, first half of verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So we've got these people who are bringing false teaching, and we need to avoid them. We need to take dramatic effect to keep their untruth away from us. But the question is, like, this is a really strong action. So when are we supposed to do this? Like, do we just throw up guardrails at any point, or are there times in which there should be dialogue, where there should be uh, peace, even when we don't fully agree on things? When, what things fall into this category of they're walking in falsehood and we have to divide from them, and what things don't? Well, I think softball answer uh, is to take the thing from the text. He says that some deceivers have gone out of the world who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That there are going to be people who are going to say, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. And uh, that's sort of an integral part of the, the gospel. Like, if Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then, like, I'm trying to follow the example of a God-man who was not really man. And so, like, he can't have suffered in every way like me because he wasn't really a man. Like, if you, if you take out the humanity of Jesus, then you gut the power of the gospel. And so we can't follow people and worship with people who deny that Jesus came in the flesh because they're denying something that is core to the gospel. And take the flip side of that. People who would say that Jesus wasn't really divine, that he was just some great teacher. Not only does that deny obvious things that Jesus said of himself, but again, cuts out so much of the power of the gospel. Because if Jesus wasn't really God, then like, what are we doing here? And so you've got some of these really obvious things, but I think that there's a tool we can use to parse out more, uh, more precisely. And that is, remember how, way back at the beginning of this talk, how we defined truth, that Jesus is the truth, the way that he lived, the things that he taught, the word of God, the things that the spirit revealed, that is truth. And if we're walking in truth, we're going to be living out the life and the, um, the sanctification uh, that Christ had in his own life, in our life. And so if we're talking about things that are really core to who Jesus was, then that shows us that there were certain things that don't fall into that category. I'll give you an example from our own congregation, okay? So there are some people here who are of the opinion that when this life is over, we are going to all go to heaven. And there are other people who think that heaven is going to come down, new heavens, new earth, it's going to become one. Neither one of those things mean that we can't worship together. Like, one of them is obviously going to be true. Like, you can't have both of those things. So either we're both wrong or one of us is right and the other one is wrong. But this isn't a divisive truth, okay? Like, when the world ends... We're all going to go be with Jesus. That's what we're agreed on. And we're trying to live our life so that that's what can happen. And so we understand that there are certain truths that are not divisive truths. Things that are sort of peripheral, 
but still important. Like, obviously, we need to be studying the text. We need to be trying to gain understanding. But when we're talking about the unity that we share, when we talk about the consistent purpose that we have in trying to follow Jesus, there are just certain things that don't factor into that. Uh, And so there are things we need to really stand strong on. There are truths that are indeed dividing. The nature of Jesus, which we've already talked about, is one of those things. Uh, You talk about, like, there are a lot of people who think that adultery is just fine, or at least they seem to live that way. And it's like, have you read Matthew 5? Like, we got to talk about this. There are certain things that are core to the gospel, core to Jesus' teaching, core to the way that Jesus lived his life. And if people aren't on board with Jesus, then we can't really have fellowship. But there are other things that aren't as significant, or maybe to say it differently, they're not as divisive. Um, we, you talk about like head coverings, for example. There are people who think you should, there are people who think you don't. But I know very few people who feel like you should divide over that. And I think that the reason for that is because we're both trying to serve God. And there might be things that we disagree on that we need to further study. But if we can both agree on the core, that we're trying to serve God, that we're trying to pursue him, that we're trying to shape our lives, let him sanctify us, (coughs) then we have what we need to move forward and to be unified by the gospel, by Jesus's life. And if we have that, then the other things will fall into place as we work together and let ourselves be shaped by Jesus. So we've talked about three things that truth gives us. Truth, it transforms us. It gives us a purpose of uh, sanctification, of love, that our lives will be different when we are molded and shaped by Jesus. And that that molding, transforming influence on our lives, in conjunction with the doctrine of the Bible, it brings us together. It gives us a purpose. It gives us things that we can agree on, that things that we can go back to, basics that we have that unite us. But at the same time, the things that unite us also divide us from the people who are <coughs> showing by their actions that they are not interested in pursuing Jesus as Jesus is presented in the Bible. And when we come into contact with those kinds of people, John is clear that we got to avoid them, that we got to give a clear, uh, clear distinction from those people. And in that situation, it's got to be done in love. It's got to be done through the spirit of Jesus. But in the same way, we've got to show that our conviction is to Christ and to his word and not to man and what man feels. And so, as I said, John, it teaches a lot about love and about truth, about the things that bring us together, about the truth that defines us. And I hope then that as we go forth from this assembly that we can consider the power that truth has in our lives to bring us together, to make us something new, something different, and that we continue to allow Jesus' life to transform us into being the people that he would have us to be.
Thank you so much. We'll break for classes now.